0: The following is a conversation between Dan Porterfield, CEO and President of the Aspen Institute, and Denver Frederick, the host of the Business of Giving podcast. On the episode, Dan Porterfield talks about leading the Institute into a pandemic, a new social contract, and why this is a moment for servant leadership to shine. This is a cross-post of the Business of Giving podcast on the Aspen Insight podcast. Every week, Denver Frederick interviews nonprofit
1: CEOs, corporate leaders, philanthropists, and social entrepreneurs on the solutions that they are working on and investing in to make this a better world.
0: The Business of Giving podcast airs every Sunday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. ET on WMYM AM 970 in New York.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic, despite the tragedy and misery it has caused, also provides us with an opportunity to create a better world. But that will take bold leadership and new ideas. New and imaginative ideas are the currency of the Aspen Institute, as is leadership development. And it's a pleasure to have with us now their president and CEO, Dan Porterfield. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Dan.
0: Thank you, Denver. Great to be with you, even under these circumstances.
1: Now, before we dive into the current situation, tell us about the Aspen Institute and what the organization does.
0: Uh, We are a, a global nonprofit that drives change through convening people to work with urgency on the most important ideas of the day, fostering leadership development, and all kinds of people making a difference in all kinds of arenas of society, and by evaluating opportunities to rethink social issues and drive towards more unifying, practical, demonstrable change, whether in areas like education or healthcare or youth empowerment or corporate social responsibility. We're really a wide-ranging organization. It's all
1: about making a difference now. Mm-hmm. You know, as a society, there are so many things in our, in our environment that we simply don't see or acknowledge. But the COVID-19 pandemic has been, in a sense, the great unmasking, where the things that we had overlooked have now become abundantly clear and vivid. For you, Dan, what aspects of our world have been unmasked as a result of this pandemic? Well, that's a great
0: question. And I think that what we see is that so many of the strains and fissures and challenges of a society become worsened under the pressure of something like a pandemic or in earlier eras, a recession or a uh, major act of terrorism. And we actually asked exactly that question to many of our program leaders who are working around the country and around the world. We asked them, what's your sightline? What is it that you're able to see because of the unique way that you as an Aspen Institute leader work to drive change through social networks? And so one of my colleagues, Maureen Conway, her sightline is all towards frontline workers. And what she saw as seen is people working incredibly long hours, feeling very stressed, not having access to even basic preventive sort of like measures to keep themselves safe as they serve food, you know, prepare packages, uh, work in hospitals, and then their own cash flow also under tremendous pressure. Josh Weiner leads our college excellence program. His sight line has been seeing community colleges, especially all around the country, facing enormous financial strain while they also somehow try to make a wholesale shift from sort of into technology-aided instruction and advising with their kids having massive needs. And then John Dugan, who leads our work on youth programs around the country with, with sort of a young, sort of college-age people that have stayed in their local communities. What they see, what he's seeing firsthand is the incredible family struggles as the students who are going to community colleges are trying to create their future, but yet at the same time, their family business or their grandparents' health um, or their ability to provide supervision for their little children is so disrupted that the students are you know, barely hanging in there in attending to their own needs. Abigail Golden Vasquez our, leads our work with Latino uh, businesses. What she sees is Latino, Latino businesses have softer safety nets so there's mm-hmm. more stress on their, you know, how long they'll be able to keep themselves going if they're not actually bringing in new revenue and at the same time, the Latino community, or disproportionately, uh, the f- adults are providing care for older adults. And so the work-life balance has become work-life integration, and yeah. it's challenging. That's just a few of the ways the Aspen Sightline is helping me, as the CEO, see some of the things that aren't being reported that much in the, in, the, you know, in the media.
1: Yeah, those are some wonderful perspectives. And I would say that an undercurrent of each of those four is mental health there are going to be some mental health problems that are going to arise after this disease part of the pandemic is over. Do you see that?
0: Of course. You know, and so you know, one of the things that's very much on our mind is that essentially when America gets a cold, the low-income community gets pneumonia. And so if you look around the country at those that are suffering already disproportionate challenges related to poverty or lack of access to health care, or lack of economic security, you know, economic resilience at the, at the household level, that group also more stress and then fewer resources. And um, so you know, we know this is a, a that stress, anxiety, are a growing aspect of American life, period, writ large. This crisis is definitely going to, I think, probably move mental health, if, if this is possible, to, an, to on par with physical health as a long-term aspect of community life that needs to be supported.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that.
0: I would Uh, wanna say that with that, you're also seeing through the Aspen Sightline, communities and people that are making a disproportionate difference. They're activated and, and, and helping right away in new ways. Carrie Hopper helps lead our Citizenship and American Identity Program, and she has seen this like surge of people moving from being, what she says, civic bystanders to active civic agents by donating money or by uh, affirming the value of social distancing or by coming out at seven o'clock and banging pots in support of healthcare workers or driving in front of emergency rooms and banging pots and cheering and yelling and supporting people. And that's important too. Peggy Clark, who leads our Aspen Global Innovators Initiative is, works with change makers around the world in, in developing communities especially she has this fellows program called New Voices and all the New Voices people are stepping up and doing new work. For example, there's a woman in uh, Kenya who's one of our fellows who has organized this giant uh, effort at hand washing in the slums of Kenya. A million people learning how to wash their hands at stations that she's provided. So we have to remember that, that as we see new challenges, we also are seeing new leadership being expressed by everyday people going out to make a difference now. That's yep. equal part of the story.
1: Absolutely. People are really stepping up to the challenge. And as you just suggested, new leaders always emerge in a circumstance, in a situation like this. Getting back to all the work that you're doing, how has Aspen had to change their service delivery model, reimagine it, if you will, to continue to deliver against mission during the pandemic?
0: Yeah. So p- probably a number of your listeners work in nonprofit organizations, which are extraordinarily important parts of our economy. As, as we know from, from independent sector, led by Dan Cardinali and others, there's something like a million and a half nonprofit organizations in the country and something like 12 million people work in them. So it's a big, important part of our sector. And so I, I want to answer in two ways, that all, all nonprofit organizations must both cope with the immediate challenges for their organizations and then create new value for society, living their mission in a new way. Mm -hmm. The coping part is key because if you can't hold your organization together, it won't be able to actually respond in new ways to the challenges. So for the, for the Aspen Institute, which has about 470 employees working in roughly 90 programs, a big early part of our work was trying to get accurate information about the, the health, about the pandemic's impacts as it was unfolding in real time. That was hard. And then moving to emergency preparedness to supporting our employees, to figuring out how to do business continuity and have 470 people all working from their bedrooms and their front porches, (laughs) and then financial resiliency, how to find the funding we need to get us through this moment, which would include, of course, some spending reductions while trying to protect jobs, which we've done so far. And then all of that is one big body of work. And if you work in a nonprofit organization, you're a leader, your job is first and foremost to hold that organization together so that of equal importance, it can then deliver its mission in new ways. So that part of our work, what we've been doing is we've shifted from organizing a bunch of in-person convenings, including the legendary Aspen Ideas Festival, to becoming virtual programming. We've created essentially a a model for a new almost network of Aspen Ideas uh, programming that will happen online. And we've, we've created a new channel in that network called Aspen Ideas Now, led by Kitty Boone, which is pushing out content relevant to the actual challenges people are facing today and to the actual solutions that are in front of us. And then secondly, our programs have organized all the time, constantly, new ways of getting uh, uh, change makers and, uh, and opinion leaders in front of audiences that can get to them virtually. So for example, just the other day, we had on Thursday, the April 16th, we had four different convenings that we created online. One with Ron Klain, all about emergency response, comparing the Ebola response to the coronavirus response. Um, the second was with Bill McKibben, the great environmentalist, focusing on climate change and what can be done today while social distancing. The third was with Arnie Duncan, the former Secretary of Education, who focused with a group of uh, a large group of, of young people about civic leadership today. And then the fourth was we enna- we'll, we'll, we brought together all the different novelists who, whose work was being recognized as part of the Aspen Literary Prize. And so I, you know, the key is to add value that makes a difference. And so those two elements of our work, coping and creating, really have been something that brought a lot of pride to our organization because everybody's pitching
1: in, both taking care of each other, but also knowing we have work to do that matters for the world. Yeah, for sure. And I can see that this uh, is a stopgap for the moment. But I also gather from the way you're talking that this is going to amplify the way you do your work in the future once we return to a semblance of normal.
0: That's a great question. I think we and every other nonprofit and people serving organization has to think of virtual programming as a critical, inseparable part of our work going forward. And that that virtual programming may be hybrid with in-person convenings or meetings combined with hybrid, was sort of like virtual discussion groups, or it may be that we start to create a way to create, to invite together multiple networks within our leadership organizations in real spaces, while also using virtual technology to invite those others that can't join that new first meeting of networks to, to take part virtually. That requires a lot of learning, uh, te- it requires organizational you know, excellence, technological uh, innovation, uh, the ability to analyze with da- the data, what's actually happening, and we're making it up as we go along. Yeah. But the, but all of us as nonprofit leaders, we have to commit, let's, let's play here, both short-term and medium-term. Short-term is what can we do right now that serves our public? How to help people vulnerable right this second? And next, what are the changes we need to make in society in the medium-term that can, going back to your first question, address the causes of some of the disproportionate suffering that mm-hmm. we've seen. And that means working on income equity, on educational equity, on healthcare equity, on ensuring that political participation is encouraged in our society and not discouraged. And all that is part of the Aspen Institute mission.
1: Yeah. Let me pick up on something you mentioned a moment ago in which you clearly have a lot of pride and that is your staff. Tell us what it's been like to work with your senior leadership team, and really for that matter, the entire nearly 500 people of the Aspen Institute. And do you foresee fundamental changes in the workplace environment as a result of this shared experience?
0: Yeah, So, so I think that first, our full staff of 470 people, I'm so proud of what they've done together in making this overnight pivot to virtual environment. And then all the ways that members of our staff have both continue to do their jobs while also having all this unusual uh, mingling, intermingling of home life and work life. I've got great colleagues that are trying to take part in meetings while also caring for three-year-olds and four-year-olds or newborns. Mm-hmm. And I've got great colleagues that are, don't have any workspace or there's any privacy at home, but they you know, they, they live in a, a group house, but they have to keep working. And I have colleagues that have older relatives that have moved in with them now to get through this together. And so, you know, what's really been just superb for our organization is to see everybody lean on each other, become more, more interdependent. And at the same time, we've encouraged everyone to be flexible with one another. We don't know the answers to every internal pressure we feel around when we'll be able to go back to work, for example, Mm -hmm. nor do we know for sure what work will look like when we go back? Will we phase in? Will, will we, will we you know, go in and out? We don't know that yet. So that's the main thing is that, the, that our organization has become stronger and more connected. We do some good things. Like we've had a couple on full staff town hall meetings via Zoom. You know, to see uh, 450 of 470 people came to our, the first town hall and they all stayed on for the full hour. That wow. was amazing. And then then one of my colleagues, whose name is Tommy Loper, organized this way of putting all the different networks that we have of leaders, community college, opportunity youth providers, business leaders, to make them a network of networks. And he hosted the first two workshops on what would it look like if the roughly 30 different leadership networks of the Institute overlapped and connected. And 90 people took part in those workshops and started to think out together what could it look like if we remake the organization so that our networks not only are strong independently, but can connect with each other. So that work of discovery is, you know, something that this crisis, I guess, gives us as a silver lining. We can learn new ways to work together at the senior leadership level. The most important thing is that senior leadership teams need to change their priorities. Whatever we thought our jobs were before the crisis, our jobs now, are to understand the organization, the needs of our employees, the needs of the world and our best offerings, understand them, understand our financial uh, uh, framework, including the things that are risks for us. We have to work harder and harder, more and more hours to have a full theory of the case of what our organization is and does and why it's important. And that requires leaders in the organization to spend a great deal more time with each other, sharing information about the revenue flows, or about the human resources policies, or about how the information technology structure works. Those aren't things everybody needs to know in normal times, but now they do.
1: Yeah. And it does sound like that the bar for leadership is going to be raised after this is over. That's what I hear you saying.
0: I think of it, I think that the, the, the kind of leadership we value is servant leadership. It's sort of purposeful, values-driven leadership. It's leadership in partnership, leadership in relation to one another, leadership as a, a shifting art, where on some projects, one's on point, and other projects, one's in support mode, other projects, one's in learning mode, but it's always about serving. And so this era, although it's a horrible, terrible global crisis we faced, it's also
1: a moment for the principle of servant leadership to shine. Let me ask you about social change. Aspen has always been so thoughtful and intentional about it, but do you think the nature of social change is going to change in some rudimentary way after this pandemic?
0: Yes, uh, it is, and I don't know how to fully predict it, but I think that one thing we'll see for sure is uh, the new localism that was already happening intensified as local communities more and more see themselves as each other's partners and first line of defense against challenges. David Brooks, who leads our WEAVE initiative, has been a a national sort of spokesperson for the notion that community values, neighborliness, service, and local self-determination are strong parts of the American fabric that are less well recognized today, perhaps, because there's so much political discord that dominates the news. So I see that, number one. Mm -hmm. Two, I think that millennials and younger, the the rising generations, are going to step forward and call for both opportunity and security in a way that their generations, in my opinion, have not really received in our Mm -hmm. society. Between the 08 recession, all the challenges that have come in the the last few years of political discord, uh, and now this challenge, we've got probably 40 million young people who, have not had the kind of optimism about their future in the sense that the country's investing in them that other generations have had. And this is a time for all of us to step forward and to to invest in education, in work opportunity and empowerment of the young. I think a third thing that's likely to change is that we had a moment when there was a lot of talk about, about America receding from the global stage. And, but the reality is that this, crisis reminds us yet again that all nations and people are, have proximity to one another in this era, and all are dependent upon one another. And I believe that a new vision will emerge about America in the world as a partner with others to try to promote global peace, development, and security.
1: Yeah, I think you may be right, and I hope you're right. Finally, Dan, I was speaking with Larry Kramer, the president of the Ewlett Foundation, the other day, and he said, what we need is for people to stop critiquing and put forward in an alternative affirmative agenda, the Aspen Institute is uniquely positioned and qualified to be a forum, an incubator of these new ideas. That alternative affirmative agenda. How do you see the role of the Aspen Institute becoming even more important in a post-COVID-19 world?
0: Exactly what you said. We've done. We're doing work right now to respond to the crisis, but our perhaps our greatest service will be helping to call the questions for medium-term and longer-term solutions. We created a big initiative that we call the Aspen Partnership for an Inclusive Economy that unites many of our programs, whether they work um, at the financial sort of information level or at the individual community or job training level to help work to build an economy, promote policies that will lead to an economy that includes more people, promotes equity, doesn't have the kind of haves and have nots we see today. And that's one major driver of our work going forward, is how in the areas of, of income, of financial security, of debt relief, of public health, of access to technology, of access to education, we can call for an integrated approach to an inclusive American economy. A second major focus for the Institute in the coming years is around empowering, engaging, and inspiring rising generations. As I said before, how can society reorient itself so that millennials and younger feel that they are being invested in and powered forward, propelled into strong economic, social, personal growth. And third, we'll be placing a great deal of emphasis in the years to come on leadership in its many forms and stripes and how to create a more interconnectivity among grassroots leaders, institutional leaders, political leaders in a way that promotes accountability of institutions for people at all levels of society. This idea that leadership matters, I think, but that there's not one model of leadership is an idea that Aspen really will own. And finally, I see us focusing down the road on serious analytical work in how to strengthen the pillars of a democratic capitalist society. What should be the role of government, the courts, local and state government, the press, financial institutions, educational institutions, religious institutions? Ultimately, if we can promote an inclusive economy, empower and engage the young, foster strong leadership in many forms, and strengthen the pillars of of our society, we will contribute to the reframing of, the rewriting of a social contract. And that's what this virus calls for
1: right now. Wonderful stuff and great clarity. I find myself going back and back again to your website. You have good stuff up there. Tell us some of the offerings and what kind of content you have up there that listeners can go visit.
0: I would recommend going right to the main website of the uh, Aspen uh, Institute and then go into our programs or go into our site that Amy DeMaria is building with her colleagues around the response to the coronavirus. I also would encourage you to go to the site for our new channel, Aspen Ideas Now, which will be putting up uh, content that's all about short-term and medium-term solutions to the demands of the moment.
1: I know how busy you are, Dan, and I want to let you know how grateful I am to you for making a few moments to share this information with us. Thanks so much and be well.
0: Thank you. You too, Denver. Great to be with you.